The Utah Jazz half-court defense takes a step forward against Phoenix, but the transition defense got the ire of Quinn Snyder. We re-watched and saw what got him upset. Plus, the pick-and-roll game of Joe Ingles is non-existent, and it's hurting the offense. And as we play, who do we want? What about a former Jazz man? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Give me insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out Prize Picks and use the promo code NBA. Go to your app store and download the app today. Prize picture daily fantasy made easy. All right. Utah Jazz got beat last night. They've lost nine of 11. And there are reasons why this team is struggling without Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell in games like they didn't used to. We will delve into that. But first, a positive is that the Jazz half court defense got much better last night. And really, to me, the next, they're calling it a mild strain of Rudy Gobert's um, calf. So let's assume he's missing about a week. Um, the sequence to me here that I think is important for the next um, period of time is whether or not the Jazz can get better in half-court defense, learning how to play without Rudy Gobert. That, to me, is the mo- only really important thing to me of the next stretch of games. Winning and losing, I think, is unlikely to win. Uh, without Rudy, but can we get better so that you're better for the playoffs? And last night, the Phoenix Suns half-court offense was an 88.6 in the 35th percentile. You dig into that, it's that's actually one of Phoenix's least good half-court offensive games of the year. So the Jazz really did a very, very good job last night in half-court defense. We saw an urgency on the ball. We saw an a really strong execution of the game plan, uh, particularly in the second quarter last night. The game plan was to force Chris Paul and Devin Booker to their left, make them really work um, to uh, be able to get back in this, you know, to the spots that they want to get to. And I think you saw last night the Jazz really doing a, a very good job of that. In fact, so Phoenix last night, Phoenix has had about, you look at about 10 games where they've been worse in the half court. Generally, those are actually the very few games they've lost this year. They And a little, frankly, if you're Phoenix, a little disturbing on who they're against. Clippers, Warriors, Denver, Boston, Dallas, Minnesota, Sacramento, Cleveland, Clippers, Miami, Houston, and then and the Jazz last night. The, the flip side is that the Jazz transition defense last night was horrendous. Um, I mean, really, truly, truly horrendous. In fact, Phoenix had one of their, I think, their seventh best game of the year in transition where the Jazz allowed 1.7 uh, points uh, per 
transition opportunity. If we look at the some of the half uh, the quarter by quarter stats, it's a little hard to tell because transition's a weird number. Clean the glass doesn't break it down by quarter the way I would ideally love them to um, to be able to look at it. But we always like to look at kind of the advanced stats. The second quarter was really brilliant. They, the Jazz held Phoenix to to five of seventeen, and there might be you know there might be some level here where Phoenix is up twenty one at the end of one after torching the Jazz. And they let off the gas a little bit in that quarter and the jazz take advantage of them and knock them out of it. And then once the fourth quarter comes back, Phoenix decides to put the stamp down in the fourth quarter again. And so there is an argument that, you know, that these are false numbers. I'm not like, let's not, you know, um, let's, let's, I don't want to be a Pollyanna about this. I'm, I'm literally think that, you know, that's what this stretch is about. And those numbers were good, but in the first quarter, the jazz defensive rating, was a 156. That's awful. I mean, just truly awful. And I don't care if Rudy's playing or not. That's awful. Um, in the second quarter, the Jazz defensive rating was a 47.8. That's world class. And I don't actually care whether or not the Suns may have let off the gas because of the fact that they were up 21. That's world class. Uh, it it's really was an, a brilliant defensive performance in that stretch. Hassan Whiteside, by the way, who's getting a, a lot of criticism. And, um, you know, I get it. I, I, you, it, he visually is hard to watch at times. His effort level is not great. Um, and his reaction time is slow. It's hard. He's on the floor for 10 minutes, 10 and a half minutes of that quarter with a defensive rating of 47. So let's not forget that in the discussion of Hassan Whiteside yesterday. In the second, the third quarter, the game's close now. Like the Jazz got that back to a pretty close game and they end up taking the lead. And in the third quarter, the Jazz defensive rating is a 109.1. So it's still pretty good. And with Hassan Whiteside on the floor for six minutes and 28, it's an 81.3. With Mike Conley on the floor, it's, an, it's a 64. Like, Mike really, really battled last night. I mean, Quinn said he spilled his guts out on the floor uh, last night. In the fourth quarter, it does turn the other way. Suddenly, Phoenix's offensive rating goes up to back to a 135. We actually scored a really, really good rate in there also, and we don't have enough. But I do think, you know, you saw some signs. Frankly, you know, we were so bad defensively against Detroit and some of these other games without Rudy. I, I, anything can be better. But if you actually run – some of that makes sense. Like, if you run through what happened last time Rudy was on, Rudy misses the Denver game last minute, illness, unexpected. Team goes to Toronto. Most of the guys don't go. They play a back end of a back-to-back against Indiana, but they can't really prepare. They go to Detroit, and they didn't practice. They have COVID running through the team. They're trying to – avoid having it spread. They don't practice. They're playing Detroit. I'll bet they thought they could win. And then they're not ready for that without Rudy either. Then you come home and play Cleveland without Rudy against three seven footers. And again, I don't really think you had practice time. You played Detroit on the 10th. You flew on that night. You don't practice the 11th. You shoot around. And then by the 16th, you actually have practice time. You have three days off. And then I believe Rudy came back for that game and we beat Denver. Rudy goes, 18 and 19, if I remember in that game, but you really didn't have time this time. Rudy gets hurt in the golden state game. We don't, we sit out Phoenix, you're back. You have a little bit of shoot around time yesterday. We'll see. I don't think they'll practice today as they fly to Memphis. So, you know, again, not a lot of time, but you're heading to Memphis and Minnesota, at least with the knowledge that you're not going to have Rudy um, for these games. And hopefully that means we can at least get better at this and improve um, in this regard. So um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but that to me was at least the positive lesson. Now, I reviewed the transition early in the game that got Quinn Snyder's ire. It's it's bad. 
It's really, it, it's as bad as my hair is this morning. Just puffing out everywhere for you. Um, I kind of look like I put my finger in an electric shock. It was actually, I watched the first quarter of our transition defense. Um, you know, the first one, Cam Johnson, it's a three. Bogey has, Bismack Biombo outruns Whiteside. Bogey has to um, drop back to help on that. And then he heads, has to close out without a lot of juice. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of juice, frankly. Like Joe and Boy, Boyan didn't start the game with a lot of ju- juice, and Whiteside didn't either. That, that group just didn't have – it wasn't like outlandish effort. You're watching Phoenix rotate around and in you defensively, and their first or second defensive possession of the game is just perfection. Mike Conley ends up taking an awful fadeaway in the middle of the lane because they can't get anything else. You know, the Jazz just didn't have that – they don't have that skill – frankly, defensively, but they also didn't have that tenacity early. Um, Bridges gets a layup um, early on a back cut. It's incredible. Um, the Jazz kind of ran three-quarters court in transition on that play. He back cuts behind Whiteside. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know enough to entirely tell you whose fault everything is, but Joe's on the other side. Like, he's always waiting to guard Chris Paul. Um, Hassan doesn't go all the way back um, defensively. Uh, I'm not like, it wasn't clear who was guarding whom on what and what and Brit Boyan frankly is even with bridges when they leave that side of the floor and then leaves him to kind of get to somebody else. And it's just bad. Um, then Conley goes one-on-one on Biombo up at the top, shoots a three misses Biombo then releases, which is really smart. Conley's the only one back. Whiteside doesn't run back fast enough to help. Conley gets pinned at the rim on Biombo. That one's, these aren't easy. Like these aren't like if Biombo's guarding uh, at uh, on the play and he has enough faith in his guys that they're going to be able to um, get the rebound. And we weren't crashing offensive glass at all at that point, which, you know, I guess we're worried about. We have never equated those two together. We don't usually, um, but we had two offensive rebounds on 13 misses in that first quarter, one by Whiteside, one by Clarkson later. We, we weren't crashing with that kind of energy early. So they knew that, Biombo knew he could release, and we they'd get the rebound. They're long and big as well. Um, then um, Ingles drives, gets a shot blocked by Biombo. Booker ends up getting a hammer slam dunk, and Boyan bridges in the corner. Boyan like stays there and lets Booker take the 45 straight to the basket. He's got to cut over when the other end, Joe is not getting back fast enough. So if Booker, if Boyan had cut that off, I think he goes to Bridges for a wide open three because Joe hadn't gotten back in time after getting a shot blocked. Um, a long run, like hard, not, not easy. None of this is easy. Um, and then there's another, you know, Bridges gets another layup and I'd watched enough and my hair looked like this and it was time. I mean, it was brutal. And that transition defense is brutal. And that, you know, sure, Rudy's big and we're small. And so you need a bunch of those, you know, these guys to – it's hard for for this group, um, but our transition defense last night. So as much as I'm going to be really positive about the half court offense uh, or the half court defense, the the transition defense was brutal, and it's just it's hard. It's it's not none of these are easy. Phoenix is super good at it, um, but they're also they were just bad plays. Like, and I think I just documented them fairly well to be. Uh, perfectly honest with you. So, you know, we'll see how that, whether we can get better at that. But I thought the, the positive is we got better there. The one thing that was interesting, and it's not surprising, is how much we're really, really struggling right now to um, to score the basketball without our main guys, which, you know, again, isn't stunning um, in any way, shape, or form. But 
I want to dig into a little bit. A lot of it has to do with the, our, what we used to be able to do is maintain our pick and roll game without Mike or Donovan, and we actually can't do that uh, right now. I want to tell you about a neat company. It's a local Utah uh, company. It's called Summit Capital. They're a local investment group made up of successful business operators. They actually uh, invested in Lockdown. We actually sold a year ago today, by the way, to Tegna. Um, anyway, uh, Summit, that was irrelevant, um, other than that Summit Capital was a part of Lockdown, invested in Lockdown. And we're great partners for us. So this is why I feel comfortable telling you about them. Uh, they provide capital management for those seeking to buy out the owner of a business they work in. So I think this is super interesting. You know someone who works in a company. The owners are getting older. They don't really have a buyout plan. Maybe they don't really want to take the company. They don't want to put the effort and take the company to the next level. The, per, you know, the manager, the general manager, who's been working there for a while, knows how to take it to the next step, but doesn't have the financial resources to either buy the company or have the financial resources to take it to the next step. Summit Capital will come in, do an equity deal with that manager, give them the funds to be able to take the company and then help them drive that company to a new level. The owner sells out. They feel pretty good about it. And the new manager gets this opportunity of a lifetime to change their life and everyone else around them. Pretty awesome. Uh, so Summit Capital, that's a great one. They also are looking for entrepreneurs seeking capital to grow businesses or owners seeking to sell uh, their business. They are entrepreneurs themselves. Uh, I know Matt well. I know David well. Uh, know the crew. I've gotten to know them well over the years. Actually, know David's family. Super, super awesome family. Uh, we approach they approach investing with the mind of the entrepreneur. Unlike private equity or venture capital funds, they do not have an artificial timeline. And I can attest to that. They never once asked us when we were closing. Now we did it pretty fast. We were inside a year of our funding, but um, they never once. So anyway, if you want to reach Matt, eight zero one nine seven nine six twenty thirty three. That's eight zero one seven nine six twenty thirty three. Text Matt eight zero one seven. 96-2033. You can email LockedOnJazz at SummitCapUtah.com. That's LockedOnJazz at SummitCapUtah.com. Or you can just go to SummitCapUtah.com to click on for more information. Today's show is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. That's our home for all your betting needs over at BetOnline.ag. A 50% welcome bonus with the promo code LOCKEDON. NFL this weekend, Chiefs are a seven-point favorite. Rams are a three-and-a-half Point favorite over the Niners over on the basketball front two games tonight Lakers uh, will match up against the 76ers and the 76ers are two and a half point favorite Warriors are six point favorite over the Timberwolves who are flat out good championship odds Brooklyn at plus 300 Warriors at plus 375 Phoenix at plus 700 I, I watched Phoenix two nights in a row I've watched the Warriors I've watched a lot of these teams surprising to me that we're at plus 700 on that. Bucks at plus 750. We're now down to plus 1,100. Miami, who has the number one seed in the East, is at plus 1,200 uh, right now. Uh, NBA Player Futures, the MVP award. I just checked this all the time because I still, still can't believe it. Embiid is now the favorite at plus 200. Curry at plus 275. Giannis at plus 300. And Jokic at plus 350. We just don't want to give it to Jokic two years in a row, I guess, is the deal. That's all at betonline.ag. Promo code locked on for 50%. Welcome bonus. All right, let's get some of the, uh, let me get some of your comments and questions. We'll also be playing, do they have anyone we want tonight, uh, today? And we'll look at, uh, we'll see a former jazz man there. A uh, special hello to the crew and a hello to uh, Mr. Lundstrom in uh, Sweden right now, who's entering a sauna with a beer and listening to Lockdown Jazz. Wow, that's that's something else. Um, uh, Clint says, can we Talk about trading Clarkson and Joe. Sure, we can talk about anything you want. What are we getting for him? Why would we do that? Um, you know, sure, we can talk about anything you want. Uh, the hair is epic today. Thank you very much. It just tells you I don't really um, care. Um, I didn't see this. Adam, thoughts on Quinn and Rudy Gay bench 
heated exchange. Rudy Gay was not very good last night, so maybe it was a spark. And really, what's what's happening right now, and it's accentuated by not having Donovan and Rudy, but as guys are just not quite on their level of what we're used to seeing, it's putting a pressure on each guy next to them or below them on the tier. So I, I don't know how you want to look at it. But if you look at our bench unit as Jordan, Joe, Rudy, Hassan, as one of those guys doesn't play as well as they're supposed to, the idea is that then the somebody else can pick them up. But right now with Joe being, you know, I hate the 10 percentage points off last year, three-point shooting, because last year was an anomaly, but even five percentage points off his career average, like that suddenly puts a burden on Jordan. Well, Jordan's actually at this point, as we've talked about, 100 games in, a 40% shooter, 32% high volume, which is fine as long as Joe's super efficient. George Yang was super efficient. As long as Rudy Gay's doing his part, then that's kind of fine that Jordan's take. We need someone to take those possessions. Remember, before Jordan came, we could not score off that bench. Like when we traded for Jordan on December 23rd, we could not score. The bench numbers, it was like this catastrophic disaster every single time that we got went to the bench. And um, and then we got Jordan, and that sparked it and opened it up for everyone. So, you know, we're kind of – I think we've forgotten that a little bit. But part of what opens it up is so Jordan takes a bunch of shots and uses a bunch of possessions, but he gets so much attention that he flips it out to Joe or other guys for opportunities occasionally. And they hit, and then that lack of efficiency by Jordan gets outweighed by the other guy's efficiency. But if they're not efficient, then suddenly Jordan's lack of efficiency is a problem. If Joe's not hitting and not comfortable shooting, then Royce's lack of shooting is a problem. If Rudy Gay's not – if like it, it all is intertwined right now, and it's all pulling in different ways. The other one I would say last night – I might be overstating this a little bit because I love Mikel Bridges. Like, I, I like defensive players. I love – like, I wouldn't be too worried about last night's loss in the sense that I'm not entirely sure – if you were drafting, you wouldn't draft three sons before a jazz player that was on the floor last night, right? You certainly would take Booker and Chris Paul first, two players drafted in last night's game. And then I, I don't know, Mikel, if I already have Booker and Chris Paul, I'm certainly taking Mikel Bridges as my next player, not Mike Conley. But, and, and Mike gave everything last night. So I don't want to be that trying to be critical of Mike in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, I just think Bridges is super. Um, and just his defense is amazing. His, his running the floor is amazing. He's just a great player, and he does so many things well. But, you know, I'm not entirely sure, as I said, that if you're drafting last night, that you might not take Bridges. And at age, you certainly would. But, you know, even if you don't, you take Bridges probably with a third pick. Boyan, I'm concerned, by the way. Um, he was 3 of 13 last night. He dribbled early with his left hand, got called for the palm, then dribbled very little with his left hand the rest of the game, had problems with that splint. Um, I- I'm... Uh, that that was not an encouraging night to me on Boyan Bogdanovich's ability to play for four to six weeks with this splint when he's ripping it off, throwing it away. Um, you know, and I thought looked uncomfortable, even on some of the moves, the basket, there's a moment where he brings I, my memories. He brings his left hand in. He didn't do it last night um, on a few plays. You know, they, they're saying he injured it against Houston, so that's three games. He's shooting 38% from the field and 31% from three in the three games since he got injured. And, you know, if you back it up, including the Houston game, he's at 39% and 28% from three. Um, and he wasn't actually on fire before that either. Uh, if, you know, if you want to get into it, he's over the last eight games shooting 23% from three. So, you know, I'm a little concerned um, on that front. Wit, 
can we talk about Chuck D giving another amazing compliment? That must be so. It's amazing. It's amazing. Come on. Chuck D, public enemy, society changing band, uh, rocked the, you know, foundation of power structure, um, brilliant artist, uh, you know, epic uh, American culture piece, like somehow liking my play by play, giving me the nickname Play Caso. Like, come on. Silly. Awesome. Mind blowing. Love it. Not going to lie. Like, even with this crazy hair. Love it. Does that make everybody happier? On the first recording of the show today, at this point, the audio went dead. I put a hat on. I looked more respectable. And the audio went completely dead for for no particular good reason. So, um, in fact, I hope it's working now. I I actually don't know that to be true. Um, Because all the same settings look the exact same. And it all looks like it's working. So, I wanted to – this is a pickup of that show. If you're on YouTube – the first segment is uh, available on the Locked on Jazz YouTube channel. If you're on the podcast, it actually, you're like, what the hell's going on? I'm still playing. So it's good. All right. Uh, two things I want to hit on here. Uh, the Jazz offense in games where Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell does not play has not been the same this year. Um, and then we got to play our, do they have anyone we want with a former Jazz player that uh, might move the meter for you? Uh, so the first one is, is the Joe Ingles pick and roll just has not been as prevalent this year and as successful as it has been in years past. Joe ran about 22% of the pick and rolls for the Jazz each of the last two years, partially because Mike was hurt at times and, and Donovan was hurt at times. And this year he's only run about 11% and, and they're not as efficient. And, you know, on a night like last night where you don't have Don, that's that's kind of where Joe used to be able to pick up and, and get some things done. And we ran, I think, about 16, according to NBAStats.com, we ran about 16 pick and rolls with Joe last night. They weren't particularly efficient. And I actually take it back to the Chicago game, which was what, the fifth or sixth game of the year. And we went to Chicago, and I remember we had courtside play-by-play seats. Nikola Vucevic switches on to Joe Ingles, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, they're switching everything on Joe. And so I wonder if the scouting report's out on it or what it is. Um, and, and on that night, you know, we, we ran Joe on the pick-and-roll a lot. Mike didn't play. I think we ran about 30 pick-and-rolls that night with Joe, which is kind of a big number for him, and it's where he, he wasn't on his most productive nights. And it wasn't, it was not an efficient outing for him. And then the same thing happened in Orlando. Mike didn't play in Orlando. I think we got close to 30 pick and rolls. Those numbers, if I remember correctly, were pretty disastrous, like about point, less than half a point per pick and roll. And I think both Chicago and Orlando were both less than half a point of pick and roll. So it was early. It was coming off the Olympics and you were just like, okay, um, I'm sure we'll figure that out and get that back. That has not come back yet. Um, the Joe Ingles pick and roll, which we, we equate to being, involved with Derek Favors so much, but quite honestly, it's not. Like, if you look back over the years, he and Favors had pretty good pick-and-rolls. He and Rudy are actually what have had massive, awesome pick-and-roll numbers, and he usually runs about 60% of his pick-and-rolls with Rudy. Um, So not having Rudy last night, certainly, you know, not an easy one for him. But it just has not been – he's not as good with Hassan as he was with Favors. He's actually not as good with Hassan as he was with Tony Bradley. Um, he was about the same with Tony Bradley as he was with Faves, and he and Hassan have not quite gelled. So that's the easy thing to kind of look at and say, well, that's why. But it's actually, I think that's a misnomer. He's running, you know, most of his pick and roll. Frankly, he was way better with Rudy than he ever was with Faves or Tony Bradley, statistically. So if he's off this year, it's actually stems back to that. Um, and and that's, you know, that's big because when when Mike doesn't play or when Donovan doesn't play, the second ball handler 
importantly enough, is supposed to be Joe. Now, we're playing Trent Forrest a lot and doing some things there. So I don't know where the pull is here in the sense that, okay, so Joe's running a seemingly about half as many pick and rolls as he did a year ago. He was running 20% of our pick and rolls. He's now at about 10% of our pick and rolls. But the efficiency is way down as well from about, you know, a little over a point to a little under a point of per pick and roll. And do you, you know, does it stem back to those games where, you know, frankly, when you, when you look back at games we've lost without Don or without Mike, they stem back to the inability to get the Joe Ingles offensive pick and roll going. And now is that because, right. It could, is it because he's just not getting as many opportunities? We're using Trent Forrest different because he's not good as, as good at it. And so it's not working as well. Is it a combination of the two? Is it the coaching staff lost confidence after running those massive amounts of pick and rolls in Chicago and Orlando? Did the league get a scouting report on Joe? I, I don't know the answer to that. I do know factually that that part of our offense is not quite there right now. Last night's interesting because Mike Conley and Hassan Whiteside play almost none together, right? The Jazz match Mike Conley and uh, and Rudy Gobert together almost all the time. And so when suddenly last night, you ended up with those two playing together. They ran, they came into the game running about 50 pick and rolls together for the entire season. So going into last night's game, Mike Conley and Hassan Whiteside um, played, had, had really not played together at all. For the season, the two of them have played 234 possessions together. They're plus 27, by the way. When they're on the floor, we have Mike Conley and Hassan White's on the floor together. Offense is a 132 plus 27. It was pretty good last night again. Um, the they, they really have played almost none together. And so last night, I think it was, they ran 28 pick and rolls. They'd run 50 coming into the season together. They were really good together last night. You know, it's interesting last night. Hassan's getting a lot of criticism. I got it. I'm not lost a why. At the same time, you know, the plus minus last night was that when Hassan was on the floor and we were playing our regular traditional defense, we were really, really good. And when Eric Pascal was on and he was playing center, we were really, really bad. Um, which feels very contrary to what I think most people think they experienced watching that game. Um, but it, it's pretty hard to deny that's actually what took place because um, the, the data is the data is there. Um that shows you last night that the that the Jazz defense or the Jazz plus minus with Eric Pascal on the floor last night just w- wasn't good despite all his energy plays, despite his dunks, despite his bulldozing the lane, despite all the things we love about it. And he does, he plays with such a juice and such an energy. Um, and, I, and I'll have to go back and, you know, maybe watch those 16 minutes last night. But if you look at it last night, when Pascal was on the floor, our offensive rating was a 68 and our defensive rating was a 136. One of the things we really struggle with is when we don't have a defensive, when we don't have a center in the game, we've struggled as much offensively as we have defensively. That's that's a big, that's a big aspect to it. All right, let's play another edition of Do They Have Someone We Want? Who do they have that we want? We have three more teams, Milwaukee, New York, and Orlando to look at. Uh, so Milwaukee uh, is $20 million over the cap if they – you know, they're trying to win a championship. It seems unlikely that they would dump anybody. Bobby Portis is an amazing signing for them, a two-year, uh, one-year left on this deal at $4 million. They got him for a three-year, $12 million deal that offseason. That was two years ago. That was 
Awesome. Semi Ojale is interesting. He's at 1.7 million. I don't know that they would let him go um, before the trade deadline. Uh, he's 6'6, 240. He's thought of as a defensive player. He's not a so shooting 23% from three. He's only played 18 games. He's a career 34% three point shooter. I love Jordan Nawara. He's um, 6'8 out of Louisville, second round pick in 2020 by uh, with the 45th pick of the draft. He's 6'8, 225. He's just. He's a 39% career three-point shooter. Um, He had off-the-chart numbers last year. He's played 20 minutes a night for them. I can't imagine they're going to let him go on the minimum. Um, That's Jordan War is just a great pickup uh, by their front office. Uh, We'll go to the Knicks. Alec Burks is the name that pops off the chart here. Nine-year, $3 million deal. Um, And, you know, he's got two years left in his deal. I don't know whether or not – you know, I don't know who he would play for, whether or not we're willing to pick up uh, two more years on a deal. Um, you know, is there a deal there? Do you, I, I don't know if you could trade Jordan Clarkson for that number and then you bring in AB and take him, let him have that role and you're saving a little money. And I don't know if you think AB is better or not. I kind of probably not. Um, maybe AB's really become quite a nice player. His credit, what a great career he's, he's turned in now. Um, he's 30 years old. Now uh, he got drafted 10 years ago. Isn't that amazing? Um, and he's really, he's, he's been kind of intermittent. He's actually put up some goose eggs recently, which is strange, uh, against Cleveland and Minnesota. He didn't score, but he has become a career 38% three point shooter. Not still not a very good two point shooter. Um, but a, you know, give AB credit. So that's a player over there. New York's looking to trade Kemba. I don't think we have any interest And then lower on their bench. I just don't see anybody, um, that would be interesting, um, in that regard. And then, uh, the final team on this is Orlando, and I, I was surprised. Gary Harris is super interesting. He's at twenty million point, uh, which is a huge number. And I don't know that anyone that we have any interest here. But I think Gary Harris gets moved, and Orlando takes back some money and takes a first round pick or two for that. And I don't know who does that deal, but it sets somebody else up for the off season. Um, and it, maybe it's just a salary cap move where they take twenty million with some contracts. Gary Harris is not a bad player. Um, He's not quite – his legs have failed him a little bit. He's never quite been the player he was at his peak in Denver where he was an elite rim finisher. Um, but he's a 36% career three-point shooter, shooting 36% from three. Like, that's really bona fide. Averaging 12 points a game. He can probably help someone, but I think the $20 million contract is probably a bigger help uh, than anything else there. Uh, other guys uh, on this, you know, Fultz, Heights – Terrence Ross is at 12 million. He's a very similar player to Jordan Clarkson, not with off the bounce game, but just pure shooting off the bench, six man. Um, only thing you could do there if you're the Jazz, if you're trying to get out from a year of Jordan's contract, you could send some draft capital, make that trade. I don't think it makes us better. Um, Robin Lopez is interesting. He's at 5 million. Um, I don't think we have some, we don't have that Dante Exum contract that we can move that we had that other year. We don't have like all of our money plays which makes it difficult for us in a lot of ways. Um, so I don't know about Robin Lopez. He's had a nice year. He's averaging about eight points a game. He's solid backup center. Um, he got $5 million. That's why the Jazz, you know, Jazz got a minimum guy. He went for $5 million. Does he get, you know, I don't know what he's doing with them for the rest of the year. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, usually in this circumstance, if there's a young kid whose money, whose minutes he's taking, you would let him go and let him go sign with a contender. Um, and I don't know if they think Mo Wagner is a piece for the future or if they or uh, they want Mo Bamba to be getting more time, but Mo Bamba's getting a lot of time anyway right now. Wendell Carter Jr., they've got signed up for five years, so maybe they want to work on that. But I, I don't um, 
you know, Bamba's playing 25, 30 minutes a night right now. Wendell Carter um, is is a funky guy because he's only 6'8". They say he's 6'10". I don't believe it. Um, so I don't know what they're doing with Robin Lopez. He's playing, and it, I don't think he's blocking someone. But if they were to release Robin Lopez, probably would be the route by which you could get something going um, on a buyout market from that point. All right, that is our YouTube. Just a quick segment of the pick-and-roll offense and uh, our continued game we've been playing every night of um, – do they have anyone want? We'll wrap up the Eastern Conference on tomorrow's show. Thanks for making Locked On Jazz your first listen today. Now go take a second and take in and listen to Locked On Now with anchor Kim Becker on the Locked On NBA YouTube feed or on any of your podcast providers at Locked On Now. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in. Apologize for the technical weirdness today. Uh, hopefully the two-segment YouTube is enjoyable for you and the regular uh, audio version is just fine. Talk to you soon.